following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in Genesis. For previous messages or to find out more about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in, uh, um, we're going to start in Genesis 6. Fair warning, we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, The Genesis, or the Noah narrative, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah, uh, spans over four chapters uh, in your Bibles. So we got a lot of ground to cover. I promise I won't keep you here all day. Um, But we really could have turned this into an entire series just on, on Noah. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to move through it. Here's our goal. We're going to look at Noah's story. Right? We're going to look at his story. We're going to look at um, the way that God uh, interacted with these people at this time. Uh, we're going to look at this absolutely catastrophic event. As a dad, it blows me away. I've said this before. But that this is the, one of the prominent stories we tell our kids. Um, I think it's because of the boat and the zoo animals and, and all of that and the family boat ride, but it's, um, this is a dark event, church. This is an extreme, it's one of the darkest moments in all of history. Um, and what we're going to do at the end, we're going to look at this incredible promise of God that he gives Noah and gives us. Uh, and so here's where we're going. Through this time, we are going to, from the text, ask ourselves three questions. Okay, so as we move through this text, we're going to look at three questions. We're going to ask ourselves three questions uh, and, and so that it drives us to understand this text and to apply it. So that's where we're headed. We're going to look at the story of Noah. We're going to ask ourselves three questions. And that's, that's how we'll spend our time together this morning. So let's jump in together in, uh, in chapter 6. So right off the bat, God uh, gives us a, uh, a bit of a progress report on how things are doing on the earth at this time. Um, I think verse 5 sums it up well. This is actually a huge statement. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Here, Listen to this. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, So this is a huge statement. This statement couldn't even be said about our culture today. If you think about it, this is a huge statement. I know that we're all affected by sin. I know we see some incredibly evil things going on in our world today. Uh, But what is said here is, uh, is profound. I mean, take a look at this. We have every intention of the heart of every woman, every man was only evil continually. This just shows kind of what was going on at this time. And let's read God's response to this evil in verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So you remember in Genesis 1, after he created, it is good, that was good, that was good, that was very good. Remember that? And now here we are in this So going from it is good to I'm going to blot this out. This is quite a movement. This is quite, um, 
as a result of sin and evil and wickedness and, and violence, God looks down and, and uses the words blot, blot them out, which is, that's heavy, church. That is heavy. Um, but then, praise God for verse 8. Verse 8 um, kind of gives us a glimpse of God's plan. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So Noah is, is going to be described as a righteous man. One could say the righteous man. Uh, he was uh, referred to as blameless, walking before God. Now, we're going to come back to this in a moment, but I want to um, throw out a teaser for you. We're going to come back to this. We're going to land on this here in a minute. But we need to ask ourselves, what caused Noah to have this favor? Like what made Noah have this favor? What caused God to look down at this wretched situation, the violence and the, the sin and the wickedness, and look down, see Noah, and have favor? Because we know that Noah wasn't perfect. We know Noah wasn't sinless. There has been no one sinless apart from Jesus Christ. We know that. We, but he is seen by God as righteous blameless. He stands out and he's favored. So let me ask you the question that we can sit on for a little bit. Why? Why was Noah favored by God? Why was he favored by God? So I'm glad that you asked. It's a great question. We're going to get there in a moment. So right out of this, God begins to speak to Noah and he starts to lay out his, his plan to Noah, which happens to be to include the construction of a ridiculously large boat. Um, so there's been many uh, people who have tried to recreate uh, Noah's Ark through throughout history. Um, the one of the uh, probably the most famous one, though, has actually just been built. It, it sits in Kentucky right now. And and so what I want to do, I want to give you. Um, for those of you who are visual people, who read numbers and doesn't do anything to provide a I want to give you a visual, okay? That's why I want to show you this. Let me give you a visual of when God lays out these, these, uh, these plans for this ridiculously large boat. Let me give you a little bit of a glimpse of what that would have been. So this is the Ark Encounter. As I said, it's in Kentucky. Um, this is the Ark Encounter. It was built by a company based out of Colorado called Timberframe. Um, let me read some of this uh, article. This, this was this week. Uh, Colorado Timberframe employees work 24 hours a day, six days a week for 11 months straight, just cutting the wood to build the largest freestanding timberframe structure in the world, a large life-size replica of Noah's Ark as described in the Bible. The crew sent 180 semi-trucks filled with timber uh, to Williamstown, Connecticut, where they oversaw the construction of the Ark Encounter. The president, Kenan Tompkins, says it was an amazing honor. No one has ever done anything like this before. And that's when his uh, installation uh, professional or overseer said, except for Noah, right? Um, <laughs> The first phase of this building process cost an estimated $91 million. The ark has exhibits inside of it, uh, stands 15 feet off the ground, held up by concrete that goes down 30 feet into the ground. 
um, the timber weighs, get this, 4.2 million pounds. Whew. The ark uh, was advertised to be 510 feet, uh, but as the uh, Colorado Timber Frame Company said, it's actually si- just six inches shy of 550 feet. That is a big Big boat. So this is designed off of the biblical dimensions of the story of Noah with one difference. As the president pointed out, I guarantee you that this will not float. All right, so minor difference here. This was a hefty endeavor taking 45 people working round the clock, 18 months to complete the entire thing total, and the attraction opened earlier this month, actually July 7th. So you can book your plane tickets now and head over there. I actually do want to take my kids. I think they would geek out about this, but um, it is open now. I, I read you this for one reason, and I show you this for one reason. Please understand how absurdly large this task was. Please understand how big this was. This was before semi trucks. This is before cranes. This is before power tools. This is before any of that. And my man Noah, with a mallet, went to town and built this ridiculously large boat. Can you, I don't think we can even imagine what this would have taken. Uh, so the Bible doesn't tell us how long Noah spent building the ark. Most scholars believe it was over a century long project of working at this. Um, how's that for endurance? How's that for endurance? Noah listened to God and believed him enough to devote a hundred years of his life, hundred plus years of his life, dedicated blood, sweat, and tears to building this boat out of, of, of obedience, unlike a boat that the world, no one had ever seen anything like this before. And he did it all, church, listen to this, before one raindrop fell. He devoted a century plus of his life in faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. But this is before there was any evidence that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. So before we move past this uh, too quickly, I believe this brings us to the first question that we need to ask ourselves as we engage with the story of Noah. And that is this. Does your life make sense to the unbelieving world around you? Does your life make perfect sense to the unbelieving world around you? And just let that sink, because think about it. Noah's life, his decisions, would have made absolutely no sense to the world, to anyone around him. But because he believed God, because he believed that God was who he said he was, because he believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, Noah went to work. He went to work on a project that would have looked absolutely foolish to everyone around him. He went to work. I mean, think about it. That boat was huge. And where's the water, Noah? Like, it's a strange project that he was doing. And he went to work on this year after year, giving his time, his energy, his resources, all in faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to to do. Again, um, I want this to kind of drive home a little bit for us, because without a belief in God, Noah's life would have made no sense. None. So let me ask, does your life make perfect sense to the unbelieving world around you? 
And I am not saying that we need to go home and start construction on boats in our backyard. That is not what I am saying. But hear me, you should look different as a result of following Jesus. You should look different. Um, think about it. Jesus was incredibly countercultural. Incredibly countercultural. Uh, he, he said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That'll get you weird looks. That doesn't make sense. Jesus says, um, give with radical generosity, not to make yourself look good, but out of love. That doesn't even make financial sense. Like, these things do not make sense. He says things like, give your, your, yourself to others sacrificially, humility over pride. Uh, he says things like sharing the gospel when it would be so much easier just to stay quiet. All of these things, you could go on and on and on, but, but hear me, following Jesus should mark your life. If you look at your life and you, you don't see any distinguishing marks whatsoever in your life, there's a good sign that you need to step back and ask God to reveal the areas in your life that you struggle believing him. Because if we truly believed him, we would follow him. Uh, I believe that this is a, the picture that the Bible paints of a follower of Jesus. Uh, someone that there will be times um, that will not make sense to the world around us. I mean, just think about it. We've devoted our lives to following a Savior that they don't believe in. If that makes sense to them, if, if your life makes sense to them, if your budget makes sense to them, if your family makes sense to them, if your marriage makes sense to them, if your passions, your purpose, your focus in your life, if all of those things make perfect sense to a world who rejects and does not believe Jesus, we're probably doing it wrong. Does your life makes sense to the world around. And it is so easy for us to get frustrated with our world when they don't see things the way we see, they don't value the things we value, but it's only because they don't believe in our God. This shouldn't be surprising to, to us. Now, praise God, there will be moments when, when the world around us will see our good deeds, will see our life, will see our light, and they will be drawn to our Father. Praise God for that. But don't for a moment think that you're gonna be normal and that you're going to make sense to the world. Don't for a moment buy that lie. Um, but church, we follow him anyway because we know he is true. We know he is good. And we know he is better. And that's what Noah did. That's what Noah did. He followed, he believed God because he, he believed that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And he believed the rains were coming. And in chapter 7, um, the rains do indeed come. God gives Noah instructions to, to get his, his family, to get um, the various animals onto the boat, get in. It's coming. So they get in. Um, verse 5 says that Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And then in verse 11, listen to this. Um, in the, the flood, um, yeah, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, How's that for exact? Um, on, the day, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 16, it, it, God said, shuts them into the ark. And I want to read this to you, and I want you to just picture this, okay? The flood continued 40 days on earth, verse 17. 
The waters increased and bore up the ark. As you saw, that was a big ark. Picked it up. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated. This ark did float, praise God, on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on earth that all the mountains were um, under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarmed on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out everything that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Church, this is one of the darkest moments in all of human history. Can you even imagine the, the pain, the destruction, the um, death? This was 150 days sitting on a boat for Noah. Think of this, 150 days sitting on a boat under the realization what, of what's going on outside of those walls. Church, sin is ugly. Look where it led. Look where it led humanity from it is good to blotted out. And just before we move on, I want to bring out the second question that I want us to, to ask ourselves this morning. And that is this. Do we recognize the ugliness of our sin? Do we recognize the ugliness of our sin? Because I think we, have two, we can have two tendencies. Uh, one, we either believe that God has somehow lessened his standards, um, that, that he's not as bothered by sin as he once was. Or two, and maybe this is even worse, we start to believe that we're really good people. We start to believe that we're awesome and that God's honored to have us. Right? Um, both of these are, hear me, wrong. Our salvation, as we are going to look at more in depth here in a bit, is not based on God lessening his standards, nor is it based on your awesomeness. It's based on something else. Here's the reality. Uh, here's why I say this, because you, you and I sin is just as ugly today, and it deserves the same judgment. Um, it's often easy to look at the wickedness in Noah's generation and say, you heathens, come on now. You had it coming. Um, but our sin, uh, my sin, your sin is, is just, get this, we serve a perfect and holy God. Now, God takes sin seriously, and perhaps a better way to say that is God still takes sin seriously. And I want to drive this home because there's this weird um, idea that I've seen in the church, even though it may not be stated like this, that, that the Old Testament God is the cranky God of anger, and he's just moody and 
just harsh. Then you get to the New Testament God and you have this field of butterflies love. Spirit sprinkles, as I've heard it called. Just, yay, you know. And so we paint these very two different pictures of God. And, and church, that's the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God does not change, and nor does his view of sin. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this absolutely catastrophic scene, we get a glimpse of how serious sin is to our God. Do we recognize the ugliness of our sin? Now let's move a little further, because if this was a movie, uh, this would definitely be the moment in the movie with the incredibly dramatic music when all seems completely lost. That's where we're at. This is the dark of the dark, but light is coming, and it comes in my favorite verse in all of this narrative, which is, is chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. But God, out of the darkest of the darkest moments, we have a but God moment here that changes everything. It reminds me instantly of another but God moment in Scripture in Ephesians. One of my favorite chapters where, where he talks about you were dead in your sins, you were dead in your trespasses, you were following after the course of the world, you were following after your passions, you were children of wrath like everyone else. And then in the darkest of dark, Paul says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy. So out of the darkness, there's this but God moment that changes everything. Well, Genesis the, in the story of Noah has a but God moment that changes Everything I've heard it referred to as the hinge. And it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Um, and as the waters subsided here, as you, as you can see, the waters are going down. Uh, Noah sends out a raven and a dove to kind of scope out the land. And they come back and no, not yet. And then finally they come back and... Uh, the dove comes back with an olive leaf, and what does that mean? That means dry land is coming. Dry land is coming, and finally the waters do subside. And the Bible paints this picture in, in chapter 8 of, of all of them kind of funneling out of the ark. Can you put yourself in that moment? Funneling out of this ark, it was, it was right after the hard reset of creation here. And it was this new beginning, this surreal moment. And let's just be honest, how good would it have been to get off of that stinking boat? I mean, you, they were on a boat for about half a year. It probably was dark, and it probably smelled awful, and this was them, death and destruction on the outside. This wasn't a cruise ship. And for half of a year, this is where they are. Can you imagine walking off and seeing the post-flood world and feeling the sun on your skin, trying to get your land legs back underneath you? What an unbelievable moment in time. And the last part of chapter 8, we see what Noah did first. 
First thing that, that our Bible tells us that Noah did was he built an altar to worship God. And that this worship was pleasing to God, and that kind of moves us into chapter 9. So chapter 9 is an amazing chapter in your Bible, and I know they're all amazing. This one is amazing, all right? Um, chapter 9, the waters had just subsided. All right, the waters had just gone down, and God steps in and to make a promise with Noah, to make a promise with mankind, a covenant. And chapter 9 is going to drive us to our last question this morning. He begins to lay out for, for Noah instructions for him in this post-flood world. Chapter 9 starts with, uh, with all of these instructions of be fruitful and multiply, um, fill the earth. Uh, he tells them what to eat, how to live. He, he reminds them of the image of God in verse 6 and that the Imago day that we're created in the image of God and we value life. Don't forget that. Don't murder. He lays this out for, for Noah. And then listen to this. God is now going to lay before Noah a promise. Now listen to this. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth uh, with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast on the earth. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So notice, before we go into verse 12, who established this covenant. This wasn't something Noah and God kind of hashed out together. This was God coming to Noah and saying, I am establishing this covenant. And this is what it was in chapter 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. 13, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And notice the word here, that everlasting. What does everlasting mean? It means everlasting, never stopping. Uh, another way to say it is continuing till this day. Covenant here. Now, as we look at this promise, um, I believe this is a promise of what I'll call common grace, that points us forward to the work in the person of Jesus Christ. And let, me, let me point out kind of what I mean by that. So on one hand, no matter who you are, uh, no matter if you follow Jesus, no matter if you reject Christ, if you, if you are adamantly opposed to the gospel, regardless of who you are, if we go outside after a rain 
You have to use your imaginations because I know that doesn't happen anymore. But if we go outside after a rain and we look up together and we see a rainbow spanning the, the sky, as we see that, that is a sign, no matter who you are, that God made a covenant that God that you don't even believe in made a covenant that he will never again flood the earth as we read in Genesis. No matter who you are, this applies to you. It's um, common grace. It's, it's a grace for all of us. And church, praise God for that promise. Amen? Praise God for that promise. Um, but I want to put in front of you that this is not only a promise of, of common grace, but that this is a promise that points us forward. God says, I have set my bow. I have set my bow. Um, so I loved shooting bow and arrow as a kid. Uh, I loved it. I love the feel when you pull it back in that tension and you release and that arrow just slides through the, through the, the air. I loved it. It was awesome. Um, honestly, I was terrified to have little boys terrified because I just thought, are they going to do some of the ridiculous things that I did growing up? Um, I remember, and don't judge me, because I guarantee there are people in this room who have done what I'm about to tell you that I did. Um, but there was multiple times I, I would grab my bow, grab my arrows, grab some friends, and go out to a field. And uh, I would take the arrow. And I'm not talking about a little, I'm talking about a bow and arrow here. And I would shoot it like this and release it straight up into the air like straight up, and all of us would gather around, we would look up, and we would watch it until finally, oh, I can't see it anymore. And the arrow would leave our sight, and then we would do what comes natural, and that is just run around, like in complete panic, just running around, until finally we heard, like over in the bush or something. So stupid. I mean... So this is why we don't have a bow and arrow in our house at this point. Um, but as ridiculous as this was as a kid, it reminded me of, of something. And don't try that, by the way, if you have. Anyway, um, as God's bow is set in the, the sky, God himself is on the business end of that bow. So as God sets his bow in the sky, God himself is at the business end. His bow is set in the clouds, pointed up, symbolically pointing to the heavens. Here's what's amazing about this. As we said, God still hates sin. He still hates sin. Sin must be dealt with. There is a wrath, the Bible says, toward sin from God. There is a wrath, um, and it burns just as bright Today, as it did with Noah, there is a wrath towards sin. However, through Christ, the object of that wrath has changed. The object of the wrath of God toward your sin has changed because rather than you and I being on the business end of the bow, God himself has stepped in and stepped in to, he sends his son to bear the wrath, to take the punishment, and to take the bow for you. To take the bow. Symbolically, I want to encourage you, next time 
if this ever happens again and it rains, next time it rains, as you see a rainbow, I want it to instantly remind you of the gospel, that your God took the bow for you. It is a beautiful, beautiful symbol that the wrath of God towards sin was satisfied. Um, The promise of here in verse 9, going back to this, is both for all of us, that when we see that rainbow, we know that God is not going to flood the entire planet again. Um, But it's also for those of us who are in Christ to look at and be pointed to the work and the person of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, at the beginning, uh, I asked a question and gave you credit for asking the question about what was it about Noah that made him, that earned him that favor when God looked at him? What was it? What made him stand out? What made him righteous? What made him blameless? What was it? And as we, we asked ourselves, why was Noah seen like this? More than that, I want to push this question. Are you seen by God like this? Are you seen by God like Noah was seen by God with favor as righteous and as blameless? Is, are you seen by God? When God looks at you, does he see you like that? Here's the third question for us this morning. Last question, do you know where you stand with God? Here's what we know. We know that Noah was not perfect. He was not without sin. We know this. Uh, no one other than Christ has been completely without sin. We know that it wasn't Noah's righteousness that earned him this position. We know that, right? Right? Like, gets hard, doesn't it? Um, it wasn't that Noah was just to use the language really awesome and it got him this favor. But what was it? Well, church, we don't have to, to wonder, fortunately. Um, if you could, if you would, turn with me to the back of your Bibles, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, this chapter is going to set out for us what is actually going on. It kind of gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what was happening with God and Noah in the book of of Genesis. We're going to start right in in verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So um, now, skip to verse 6 here. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is, please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. uh, Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, remember, all of that toil and work went well beyond before even a raindrop hit the ground. But before um, things were seen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness 
Now, let's camp on these last four words. That comes by faith. Not by that comes by working real hard. Not by uh, being his perfection. Not by him being awesome. But by faith. The righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah was righteous and God looked at him as blameless. Why? Because Noah believed God. Because Noah had faith in God. He believed God was who he said he was. He believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that belief, that trust, was credited to him as righteousness. Understanding that, let me ask again. Church, does God see you like this? Does God see you like this? And can you be sure? Here's what the Bible says. Um, Your salvation is not based on God lessening his standards because he still hates sin. Your salvation is not based on you being perfect because that's not going to happen. Your salvation is based on one thing. Ephesians says you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. A perfect and holy God, perfect and holy God, um, all sin, all sin must be handled. It must be dealt with or he would not be perfect. All sin must be dealt with. So God, because of his great love, sent his son sent his son. Jesus Christ took the business end of the bow for you. He bore the weight of your sin and he gave you his righteousness so that now through Christ he sees you as righteous, blameless, and you are favored by God. You are favored by God, not based on you, but on Christ, that Jesus took the bow so that now you, through faith, get this, are Noah. You, through faith, are Noah. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Um, For those of you in the room who maybe are not sure about all of that, maybe you're here and, and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I just, I plead with you to consider I plead with you to consider because God has not lessened his standards, church. And my sin, your sin, it must be dealt with. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that there will be judgment. The Bible also says that the gift of of God is, is life through Jesus Christ. And so come to him. Because in him, your sin has been handled. In him, there is life. In him, there is forgiveness. In him, there is eternal life. Come to him. Come to him. And if you're here and you would like to talk more with someone about this, if you're here and there's something going on in you that you just want to talk through, we're going to have people here, and they would, we would love to talk with you, to pray with you. I encourage you, don't leave here. If God's doing something in you, don't leave here without talking to us. The question here is, do you know where you stand with God? And as we close this morning, I want to try to bring all of this together for us. So um, as we consider the story of Noah, as we consider his story through Christ, we know we are Noah. We are favored. 
We are righteous in his sight through Jesus Christ. We are blameless because he is blameless. We're sheltered from judgment through Jesus Christ. Now, we know this. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so now, as we understand that, since that is true, since that is true, I want to leave you with this. You know that God takes sin seriously. You, you, you know that there is judgment for sin. You know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. We know these things. Here's what we do. We tell as many people, as many people about the gospel as we can to bring it to the story. We do our very best to pack that ark full. To pack that ark full because we know what is coming. Amen? We do our best to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus. As Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations because there will be judgment for sin. But praise God, church, there is salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the grace that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the grace that we just read about how, how you sheltered Noah. God, I thank you for um, the work of your son on the cross that, that provides for us a righteousness that is not ours, that is not our own. But God, we are so grateful that when you look at us, when you see us, you see perfection, and not our perfection, but the perfection of your son. We thank you for this. God, give us opportunities. Give us a passion to tell as many people as we can. God, give us, through your spirit, equip us for this. And God, help us to believe you. God, increase our faith so that we can follow you, serve you, and give ourselves to you as our act of worship. Just as Noah did as he built that altar, God, that we built an altar and we offer ourselves as worship to you. God, we thank you for your word. And in these next couple moments, I pray that you continue to speak. In Jesus' name, amen.